Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. So I have a really good friend who is a professor of New Testament theology at a rather prestigious uh, Christian university in America. And he was telling me that he was invited to preach at a church one Sunday. And so while he was driving uh, on the day of the occasion to the church concern, he was making his way through the traffic and somebody came flying past him and cut him off in the traffic, almost causing an accident. So he was obviously a bit taken aback by this, and so he kind of waved his hands in frustration at this particular driver, and the driver saw him in the rearview mirror, and so he gestured back by showing him the sign that he is, uh, you know, the international sign that he is number one. And um, of course, this upset my friend even more, so he mouthed off like a few choice words that you probably wouldn't find in the Bible and waved his hands again in anger and frustration, and the guy in front of him slammed on his brakes. So then my friend almost plowed into the back of his car. Now, fortunately, they didn't have an accident, but then the guy sped off in front of him. And so needless to say, my friend was quite angry, uh, but just thankful that it hadn't escalated into something else. And so en route to the church, he needed to stop and put in petrol. So he pulled off the road at a service station, and as he pulled up to the Bowser, he got out the car, and he realized that on the other side of the petrol pump was this guy who had cut him off in the traffic, who had also stopped to put in petrol. So when they saw each other, there was, you know, another heated exchange of words, and they were uh, kind of, you know, gesturing to each other, and they went in, paid for their petrol, came out to their cars, and pulled out at, at almost the same time. So my friend pulled out first, and this guy came out and just fall right in behind him and just started following him. And so my friend thought, oh my gosh, all right, maybe this has gone too far. Maybe I said too much. You know, I don't don't know who this guy is. He could be a madman, right? He could have a gun. This could get serious. And so every time my friend turned, this guy would just turn behind him. When he went right, he went right. When he went left, he went left. And so my friend thought, well, at least I'm close to the church. There will be other people there, so at least I'll be safe. So he pulls into the church, and he parks his car, thinking this guy is going to just drive on by, having now intimidated the life out of him. But this guy just rolls in right behind him. So my friend parks, and this guy parks a couple of bays down, and my friend thinks, all right, well, here we go. This is about to get real, right? And so he gets out of the car, and he looks at the other guy and notices he's got something in his hand, and he thinks, oh, my gosh, maybe he's got a gun. Maybe he's got, like, (laughs) some kind of you know, weapon. And uh, as, as he looks and, and gets closer to the guy, he realizes he does have something in his hand, but it's not a gun. It's a Bible. And it suddenly dawns on him that this guy is a member of the church that he's about to preach at, right? <laughs> it's all about awkward, okay? And so when they both realized what had happened, they kind of like, oh, okay, they felt really bad. And so they they kind of shook hands and kissed and cuddled and made up before they went into church. And so fortunately, my friend could uh, preach okay. But that's the nature of anger, right? Anger can get you into trouble so quickly. And the problem with anger is that it causes your mouth to move faster than your brain. And that's never a good thing, okay? Now, the truth of the matter is not all anger is bad. Anger is not a negative emotion. It's not a bad emotion. In fact, in some situations, if you did not feel anger, there would be something wrong with you. Sometimes anger is the only appropriate thing to feel. So when you see injustice in the world, you get angry. When you see innocent people suffer, you get angry. When you see evil and wickedness going unchecked and unchallenged, you get angry. And rightly so. In fact, the only reason you are capable of getting angry is because you are made in the image of God. And God gets angry. Jesus got angry. 
There's a righteous, holy kind of indignation that is appropriate in certain situations. And if you didn't feel that kind of anger, you'd be guilty of indifference. So anger itself is not negative. It's not bad. It's what we do with our anger that determines whether or not it becomes dangerous and destructive. And so the Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26 to 27, encourages us with these words. He says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but do not use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of a foothold in your life. So clearly here, Paul's telling us that, that anger is an inevitable and even understandable reality of life. It's normal and it's natural. You are going to feel it and it's okay to feel it. But there's a right way to handle it and there's a wrong way to handle it. And if you don't handle anger the right way, it can potentially become dangerous and destructive to you and to those you love. Now, there are essentially three ways in which anger manifests itself, and all three of these are incredibly unhealthy and incredibly unhelpful. And the first is represented by what I call the venters. And the venters are those people who, when they are angry, they just let you have it, right? They get vocal, they get loud, and sometimes they get violent. So they might lash out at you verbally, or they might hit out at you physically, but when they are angry, it is obvious and everybody knows it. I'm talking here about the Mike Tysons and the Charlie Sheens and the John McEnroe's and the Nick Kyrgios's of the world, all right? And very often when these people manifest anger like that, it's almost immediately followed with a deep sense of remorse and regret. The problem is by the time they feel that regret and that remorse, it's too late. The damage has already been done. So trying to express your anger like this is kind of like trying to play a piano with a sledgehammer. Not only is it incredibly ineffective, but it's very destructive. So it's not a helpful and not a healthy way to manifest your anger. So the second way in which anger gets expressed is represented by a group that I call the victims. And the victims are the exact opposite of the venters. Because the victims don't externalize their anger they internalize it. They don't explode, they implode. They don't express their anger, they suppress their anger. They bottle it up inside and they keep it pressed down. So if you ask them, are you angry? Are you angry with me? They'll say no. And they won't admit it, they won't acknowledge it. They'll just deny it and they will just push it down. It's what I call slow cooker anger. Because it sits there beneath the lid, beneath the surface, just stewing away and simmering away, and it takes time to build up. Now, very often, these people end up carrying the consequence of their anger in their own bodies. So they feel tension, headaches, they have stomach ulcers, they get high blood pressure, they suffer insomnia. They literally carry the effect of their anger in their body. And that is because bottling up your anger inside is like drinking poison, hoping that the other person will die. Just doesn't work, right? In fact, Mark Twain, the famous American author, said this about anger. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. And I think that's absolutely true. Now, very often, the reason people store up anger like this is because they're afraid. They're afraid of what might happen if they express it. 
They might lack self-confidence. They might feel like they don't have the permission to express what they're saying and what they're feeling, and so they bottle it up, and sometimes they even turn that anger in on themselves. So not only do they feel angry at someone or at a situation, but they end up feeling angry about the fact that they feel anger and don't know what to do with it. You know, a classic example is the new mom who has a, a, a newborn baby and she gets angry at that baby because the baby just cries and will not sleep and then she feels guilty about the fact that she got angry at the baby. So now she's got to deal with her anger and with her guilt, with a sense of frustration and self-loathing as well as the anger that she feels at the situation. So not a particularly helpful or healthy way of expressing your anger. Then the third way in which anger shows up in our lives is represented by a group that I call the Vindictives. And for these people, their motto is, don't get mad, get even. Right? They will never let you know face to face that they are angry with you. But they will let you know in other very subtle ways. Yeah, right. Sometimes they will try to manipulate you. They'll try to control the situation and the circumstance around you. They'll go out of their way to undermine you. They will hit you every day with cynical, sarcastic, critical statements, very often kind of layered in a thin veneer of humor to try and disguise their intent, but make no mistake about it. They are out to get you, and they are going to get revenge, right? Not a healthy and not a helpful way to manifest your anger either. So the question is, is there another way? Is there a better way to give expression to your anger, to deal with it, to manage it? And the answer is yes. There's a better way. There's a biblical way. There's a godly way. And I call it the calm and control approach. The calm and control approach. Every indication in Scripture, every insight, every command, every instruction encourages us towards, yes, feeling our anger, yes, expressing our anger, but doing it in such a way that we are calm and in control. Right? Listen to the wisdom of God from the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 16. It says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Proverbs 14, verse 29 says, People with understanding control their anger, but a hot temper shows great foolishness. In Proverbs 29, 11, it says, Fools give full vent to their anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So clearly here, the wisdom of God is encouraging us towards feeling it and expressing it, but remaining calm and staying in control. So the question becomes, how do you do that? How do you take control of your anger before it takes control of you? How do you make sure that you stay calm and you stay in control? And the answer is you're going to need a few of these, all right? Now, I know you're thinking, yeah, if I had a few of those, I'd be able to sort out my anger pretty quickly, right? But that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, when I was a child, I remember one day walking into the kitchen, and my mom used to love cooking. She cooked all the time, and she had a lot of these. And yes, to be honest with you, when we were naughty, she would threaten us, right, when she was angry, but that's not what this is for. And I walked into the kitchen, and, um, and she had one of these uh, wooden spoons over a pot that was on the stove that was busy boiling. And I said to her, Mom, why, why have you put the spoon on top of the pot? And she said to me, it stops the pot from boiling over. 
I said, oh, wow, I didn't know that, right? Now, maybe you're a chef and a cook, and maybe you know that that's what happens when you have a pot that's boiling over. If you're busy doing other things, if you take a spoon and stick it on top, it'll stop the pot from boiling over. Now, I don't know how the science works. I don't know how the dynamic works. But when the water starts to boil up, the bubbles hit the spoon, and it dissipates the energy, and it just stops the pot from boiling over. So I thought, wow, brilliant, okay? So what I want to do today is I want to give you four wooden spoons, right? Four steps that you can take that represent God's wisdom for this area of our emotion. Four things that you can put into practice that are going to stop the pot of your anger from boiling over. All right? So if you're taking notes, write them down. Here they are. Number one, first wooden spoon is this. If you are going to control your anger and stay calm, you have to pray about it. All right? Pray about it. Now, I'm not saying this just because it's like a Christian cliche that we tack onto the front end of everything we say. Right? Um, I'm saying this because this is precisely what the relationship wisdom of Jesus calls for. All right? Listen to what Jesus encourages us to do in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 28. He says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. If somebody has done something to hurt you and has made you angry, Jesus says the first thing you should do is pray for them. Pray for them. Now, I know that is the last thing on earth you want to do, is pray for somebody who has made you angry. Right? You just want to punch them in the face in Jesus' name. Right? But you can't do that. So Jesus says the next best thing is you need to pray about it. Now, the reason why is because when you get before God and you go face to face and heart to heart with God, you cannot help but be changed. Right? The first thing that the presence of God will do is it will change you. It'll change how you see, how you think, how you feel. You cannot get before the throne of God's grace and come into conversation with God and not be profoundly impacted by the reality of his presence. So the first thing God will do is he will change you the way you feel and the way you see. Now, and of course, the, the, the value of taking your anger to God in conversation is that it is far better than the self kind of talk that happens with anger that inflames the fire of your rage. You know what it's like when you get angry with someone? You kind of go inside yourself and you rehearse the conversation that you plan to have with them when you see them. And you, you say things to yourself like, I, I cannot believe that he did that. What was he thinking? Who does she think she is, right? That kind of inflammatory self-talk. And when you talk like that to yourself, all you are doing is you are fanning the fire of your own rage. And so taking your anger to God in prayer is far better than that inflammatory self-talk that so often accompanies that anger that you feel, all right? And, and so when you take it to God in prayer, it's like taking a, a red-hot iron and plunging it into a pool of cool water. It just... Pfft, Takes all the heat right out of it, all right? So that's number one. You need to take it to God in prayer. Pray about it. Wooden spoon number two is that you need to think about it. Before you say anything to anyone, you need to stop and think and ask yourself the question, why am I angry? Why am I truly angry, right? Proverbs 15 verse 28 says, the heart of the godly Thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. 
So before you say anything to anyone about your anger, you need to stop, you need to think, and you need to ask yourself the question, why am I angry? Now, the reason why it's so important to ask that question is because anger is a secondary emotion. That means anger always surfaces in response to something else. That something could be rejection, could be humiliation, could be embarrassment, it could be offense, it could be disappointment, it could be hurt. But anger is this second wave or level of emotion. And so if you don't stop and ask yourself the question, why am I truly angry? You're never going to get to the primary driving emotion and to the root cause of that anger. And then you're not going to be able to respond to it appropriately. So you've got to stop and ask the question. So for example, I might feel angry because I feel like I've been overlooked and I haven't received the recognition that I felt I'm due. Okay. But maybe the real issue here is that I'm deriving my sense of self and security and identity from my performance and how other people perceive my performance. So maybe if I didn't derive my sense of identity and security and self-worth from my performance and how other people see it and receive it and perceive it, maybe if I derived my sense of security and self-worth and identity from God and from my relationship with Him, then I wouldn't feel so angry when I didn't get the kind of recognition that I thought I deserved, right? So if you take the time to stop and think about why am I actually angry, it'll allow you to identify the underlying primary emotion and the root of that emotion that is the reason for your anger in the first place, and that'll help you respond to it appropriately. And not only will it help you identify that primary emotion, but it'll help you, um, it'll help you know what to do next with it. It'll help you know what to do in response to that driving primary emotion so that you can respond to it in an effective way. So think about it. Ask yourself, what is the root cause of this anger? And when you do that, what it does is it puts you back into logic mode. It puts you back into a rational headspace. You see, when you feel anger, you are like emotionally charged. There's like a heightened level of emotional energy in you. And when you are emotionally charged, you can do irrational things. And you can say irrational things, things that are going to potentially be regretful. And so when you stop to think about it, it changes gears and it puts you back into a reasonable, rational, logical headspace. And that just takes the emotion out of it, right? So these first two steps will help you to diffuse your anger the next two steps are going to help you dispose of it, all right? The first two help you diffuse it. The next two will help you dispose of it. So number three, third wooden spoon is you need to speak about it. You need to speak about it. Now, here's the thing about anger. If you don't talk it out with someone, you are going to take it out on someone. If you don't talk it out with someone, you are going to take it out on someone. Anger only has one doorway out of your life, and that is through your mouth. The only way anger can leave your heart is through your mouth. So you need to talk it out. But you need to talk it out in the right way. Because if you talk it out in the wrong way, you are only going to inflame the fire of that rage inside of you. So Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. In other words, angry words inflame angry emotions. You've got to let the air out of the balloon slowly. 
right? Have you ever blown up a balloon and before you tie the knot, you just kind of let it go and let the air rush out of the balloon? What happens, right? The balloon goes everywhere, right? All over the room. It's completely out of control. Well, it's like that with anger. When you just let the anger out, you lose control. So you've got to let the air out of the balloon slowly. In other words, you have to tell it, but don't yell it, okay? You've got to talk it out, but you've got to talk it out in a calm and controlled way. So that means you're probably going to have to talk to some neutral party first before you talk to the person you are angry with. Talk to a pastor, talk to a counselor, talk to a friend, talk to somebody that you are not angry with so that you can let the air out of the balloon slowly. But if you don't talk about it, it's not going to find its way out of your heart. So you need to speak about it. And then number four, you need to do something about it. All right? You need to do something about it. And by that, I don't mean kick the dog, throw a tantrum, plot an assassination, or you know, put something nasty up on Facebook. I'm not talking about getting revenge here. Okay? I heard about a couple who um, were having an argument, and it was getting kind of quite heated. And the husband was, was getting frustrated because his wife was completely in control and calm. And eventually, he got so frustrated, he said to her, Honey, I don't understand. How do you manage to stay so calm and so in control when we have a disagreement like this? And she said, Oh, well, it's easy. I just know when the anger starts to surface in me, I'll go and I'll just clean the toilet. So he said, Well, how on earth does it help with your anger control? She goes, well, I just use your toothbrush. <laughs> it's not what we're talking about here, okay? That's not an anger management strategy, okay? I mean, do something creative, something constructive, and something loving that will put control back in your hands. Listen again to Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 29 to 30. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. I think you'll agree this is a rather unusual thing for Jesus to say. If somebody strikes you through the cheek, turn your cheek and allow them to strike the other cheek as well. Why would Jesus say that? Well, you see, when you strike me through the cheek the first time, you do so without my permission. But when I turn the other cheek and I allow you to strike me again second time around, you do it with my permission. And suddenly, I'm back in control. You see, when, when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to respond, when people try to manipulate you or take advantage of you, he, he didn't give them a lesson in self-defense. He gave them a lesson in self-control. Because self-control is the best form of self-defense and the front line of it. So you have to do something creative, something constructive, and something that enables you to take control. I recently read a fantastic story about a group of people in a town in Germany who did something that I think just beautifully represents what I'm talking about here. Uh, every year in this particular town, there's a group of radical right-wing uh, neo-Nazis who march through the town. The town has some kind of historical significance for them, and so every year they have a march through this town. And of course, the townspeople hate it. And so they decided one year they're going to do something about it. And so what they did was instead of standing on the side of the road, you know, yelling angry, vitriolic, you know, abuse at these neo-Nazis marching through their town, they decided to set up a secret fundraiser. And they got people in the town and in the surrounding towns to donate money for every kilometer that this group of neo-Nazis walked on this march. 
And all that money was taken and given to an organization that was dedicated to advocating against radical right-wing neo-Nazi groups and helping people who are part of those groups to escape them, right? And so these neo-Nazis marched through the town unknowingly raising money for an organization that existed to undermine the very cause of their existence, right? Brilliant. (laughs) That's so clever. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Something creative, something constructive, something productive, but something loving that will allow you to take control. Because it's love, ultimately, and mercy and kindness that is the antidote to our fear, our greed, and certainly our misdirected anger. And that's why finally Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, which usually follows those things. Instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Paul's saying here, you know the motivation for diffusing and disposing of your anger safely is the fact that God has done the same for you and for me. God didn't respond to humanity's rebellion with anger and vitriol and judgment and condemnation. No, God did something profoundly creative. God did something wonderfully constructive. God himself stepped into the gap. He came to us in the form of his son, Jesus. He bridged the divide. He extended the invitation. He forgave our debts and our obligations. And he made it possible for us to come back into right and restored relationship with him. In other words, God in his mercy and his kindness didn't respond to us with misdirected anger. He responded to us with incredible love. And when you do something loving for the person who, for whatever reason, has made you angry, you help diffuse it and dispose of it in a really safe way. And so the encouragement of God's Word here today is by all means, be angry. It's right to feel angry. It's understandable to feel angry. Don't let your anger become destructive. Don't let it become dangerous to either you or the ones you love, to the relationships that mean the most for you. Take these four steps. Pray about it. Think about it. Speak about it. And do something creative and loving about it that will help you stay calm and stay in control. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.